Malvern Radio. My name is Malvern West, and tonight I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, and most of all, the drunkest on the mall, BFD. Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, well, and, and it's funny, too, because we're doing the podcast a little bit earlier tonight, and I still have a ton of work to do, so I am beer-free. So <laughs> all my rants, I can't even, I can't blame on the alcohol tonight. Yeah, that tongue of yours is a dry county tonight. <laughs> Maybe oh, for about 30 more minutes. Maybe <laughs> 30 minutes or whatever. <laughs> That's you driving across state lines right now, or county lines, I should say. <laughs> well, like yeah, if you're in Oklahoma and you can't buy it, it's over like 2.6% and you have to drive into Texas to get it. That's what you're, that's what you're working on. Yeah, we're in Greensboro, Texas right now. That dry ass. <laughs> God, that was the worst. I'm going to go get a beer. Uh, you can't. Yeah, I can't even imagine living in like Lubbock whenever they did that. I remember the first time I drove through there, I was like 16 and right outside of Lubbock was just all liquor stores and strip clubs. Like, where are we, where are we going to? And then you get in the city and there's none of that at all there. I was like, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. Okay. So I got a quick, very quick Lubbock story. So I, with my wife and I, as we were moving to Colorado, stopped there. We stopped at a honky punk to get some food and to, to uh, just relax for a little while to continue the trip. And this guy, I'm in the urinal and this big old dude, I mean, I'm like, I'm 5'10". I'm not huge, but this dude, dude was like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, as I'm peeing at the urinal slaps me on the back hard as hell goes boy isn't that the best bang you ever heard and i was just like dude i'm peeing don't touch me (laughs) 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 and you never and like you it doesn't even matter if you're peeing you just don't touch strangers like that you know yeah in in the men's room and and it was a terrible country band it was like a country cover band did you get pushed into your own in your own urine at all? No, like, off of it? I was I was able to stave off my own urine. That's good. That's good. <laughs> this is the best start to the podcast ever. Of course, of course. I like <laughs> yeah, I, don't know, I just have so much to say, and so I'm just kind of like compartmentalizing it. Yeah, the only time I went through Love Big is just driving to like the Grand Canyon, the sorts of places. No, I ever went to Zion, and the car I was driving, the radiator got screwed up, and like we somehow like we barely got this mechanic. They stayed late to get fixed. We stayed in some weird hotel. And the next morning they had it all done. We were able to get to Zion like four o'clock the next morning. So that was very nice of them. But other than that, it's kind of like how college station is where I've been there, you know, two or three times and never had a good time there, but that's more, as more to say with the friends that I keep or don't keep in those places, than it does about the place itself, you know? Yes. They're, yeah. Totally. They're not my areas. So, uh, but anyways, did you know that, you should throw the ball when you play the Houston Texans. You know, once again, it's, there are two things that are really hard on you and I, Big Matt. And it's, it's damn hard to be right so often, and it's damn hard to be this humble. And it's pretty, too. And it's pretty. <laughs> so, and we've been saying it all year. You know, it, it's, it's, it, sometimes it feels like broken record city, but, you know, we can just pick on Sharice Wright, who was just absolutely – hilariously terrible in a dead clown sort of way on Sunday. He was just, he was bad. And it's like, you know, this is what we saw all season. This is what the potential we saw. We had the soft lineup or soft schedule. We had the quarterbacks who couldn't throw the ball downfield. Case Keenum doesn't count. And Andrew Luck, man, 
he's just strong arming, strong arming it out there like a classic 2015 Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a, like a, maybe like a 2012 Peyton Manning, you know, <laughs> not like a 2015. Give him a little bit more credit. Uh, he, got, like, he can't throw the ball hard, but he can throw it far. And he has so much touch and, they have really been enjoying watching lug play this year. It's kind of like whenever we do draft stuff or watch draft quarterbacks. So much is about athleticism and arm strength. And you can be a lot of fun and have that sort of thing. See Josh Allen, the, the most entertaining quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. But all those other parts of it are super are so important. And with luck, it's cool because it's like, yeah, being really smart and really good in the pocket and having really good touch and uh, being really strong and all those other kind of like softer skills a quarterback player immensely important. And even if you don't have the strongest arm in the world, you can still be really good if you're good at everything else. And so Luck was good at everything else in this game. He absolutely – like I imagine the Texans' defense is like a cartoon or a musketeer that like takes a sword to him and they pulls away and they just fall into a bunch of little cubes. That's how I imagine Houston's <laughs> secondary this entire game. And so Luck threw for 399 yards. He had two touchdowns. He averaged 9.73 yards an attempt, and that was about 2.2 more yards than he had been averaging the entire year because he was 25th in yards per attempt before this game. Hilton, T.Y. Hilton, loves playing the Houston Texans. Uh, he even had – I think this was like a pedestrian game for him. Uh, you know, as great as he was, he had 199 receiving yards on nine catches and 12 targets, including a 60-yard reception. He didn't have a touchdown. The touchdowns went to Eric Ebron and Zach Paschal. Um, and his three incompletions to Hilton looked like they came on plays where the defensive back came early to the ball and giving him a chance to make the catch, but they didn't call it. Uh, so for whatever that's worth. But we came to this realization, I would say, I don't know, five or six weeks ago, where it's kind of like when you're watching a movie and you realize what's going to happen at the end. And you're like, oh, okay, I, kinda, I get it. I get it now. But you still enjoy it. You still watch the rest of it. Stuff blows up. There's, you know, it's funny or whatever. I don't know. But we were at the point in the season where it's like, as long as Houston plays teams that can't throw the football, they're going to win. They have the best run defense in football. You can't run against them. These teams can't attack your, your cornerbacks at all. You know, Case Keenum can't. Uh, Alex Smith couldn't. Nathan Peterman couldn't. Dak Prescott couldn't at the time. Blake Bortles couldn't. Cody Kessler couldn't whenever he was in there. Baker Mayfield did for a second half when they were down deep. But you just kind of like we're waiting for – this sort of thing to happen, this sort of game happened when Houston played another competent passing offense. And they did in Indianapolis, still scored 24 points. But throughout the game, they really moved the ball um, as well as, you know, without really any, having a whole lot of adversity through that. And they attacked every member of the secondary, Jonathan Joseph, Sharice Wright, Kareem Jackson, Justin Reed, Tyron Matthew, everybody. So are you surprised at all by Sunday's results and the way the Colts are able to just completely dismantle Houston's secondary? No, it was kind of, you know, we talked about it. It was kind of the expectation. I did pick the, the Texans to win the game because they've just been they, – they've gotten a lot of luck. And then I, I joked about during the podcast last week, too, if, if I could, like, have, like, your copy of your flow chart. Like, if the game is within one score, then the Colts would win. But I thought the Texans would put up more than two scores against them um, because I, I thought we'd have a better matchup defensively. I thought – I don't think anything of Frank Reich. I, I put Frank Reich in kind of – Bill O'Brien on the same level. They're two guys who just aren't going to take any risk and are terrified to do anything down the field. And unless their quarterbacks do that in spite of them, right? And so I kind of thought Indianapolis was going to play its way into being super conservative and and nobody beats Bill O'Brien at being ultra conservative. And But I got it wrong. And so am I surprised? No, this is the outcome that, you know, 
a rational person would have taken. I didn't take a rational take on it just because the Texans haven't been rational this year. Mm-hmm. And so that's, in my surprise, not. And it's just, you know, this game reminds me, this is, you know, Brock Osweiler can't throw, you know, certain passes. This is you just um, Andy Reid in 2014 throwing the ball short against us and beating the pass rush. This is what this game reminds me. This is the tone setter for the rest of the season. The question is, is our, the quarterbacks on the rest of our schedule, are they going to be able to do that? Yeah, and it, they probably won't have to worry about that until uh, January comes. And you know, January is different expectations whenever a team is nine and three and wins ten games in a row compared to a team that ends up nine and seven makes the playoffs. So whenever you're twelve and four in the playoffs, the expectations are different. Even the matchups and the performance doesn't necessarily match. And so I think that's kind of the the one big difference between the two. But yeah, I mean overall, like it. The one thing that really surprised me was just how little Indy threw the ball in the first half. They kept trying to run it, and it kept not working. And I was just sitting there just, like, just kind of waiting for it to, for them to actually start being more aggressive and break the game open. And there was a throw with, I think, 12.07 left in the second quarter where they ran a, a curl route to T.Y. Hilton. Jonathan Joseph was playing like 12 yards off of him because Jonathan Joseph is older and slower. He has trouble against guys uh, who actually run downfield routes against him. So he's giving him this enormous cushion just in case in man coverage. Hilton sits. Joseph comes to make the tackle. He takes an outside route. Hilton curls back to the inside and like walks for 17 yards up to that point. And then it was just like kind of like a light bulb went off for Indy. They're like, oh, yeah, we can just throw the ball whenever we want against this team. They got the ball into the red zone. Zach Pascal dropped a pass and went through his hands. Andre Howe picked it off. But from that point on, Indy had really zero uh, – Zero conflict at all at throwing the ball in this game. And on passing the trial farther than 15 yards, Andrew Luck completed five of seven of them for 179 yards and one interception. The interception was to Hal. He almost threw a touchdown to T.Y. Hilton, but was tackled about two yards short. Uh, were you seeing a lot of zone in this game or man coverage? What, how was Houston handling in these passing offense? It looked like – well, I think the biggest thing that Indy was doing is they were really spreading the field with the receivers. You didn't see a lot of groupings was one thing that I kind of picked up. And then also just kind of isol- getting T.Y. Hilton isolated, trying to isolate him on one guy on one side of the field at a time. Mm-hmm. I, I did see it, it seemed like we were trying to play the cover four we like to play. But I, I didn't – the Texans' pass defense, sometimes it's just kind of bewildering because of that fact. So that was a long way to say. I kind of have no idea what they were doing at times mm-hmm. on Sunday. I mean, I would have put – man with safety over the top against T.Y. Hilton. But, I, I mean, who are you going to put on the man and who's the safety you're going to put over the top and what are you going to do with the rest of the field? Yeah. Yeah, and I, that, the only thing I really kind of picked up on the zone was it seemed like they played they, – they played a lot. It seemed like they played a lot more zone than man, especially whenever Eric Ebron caught a pass. There was kind of like always three guys around him, and they did a good job of limiting him. But he was still able to get open because Luck had some really incredible accuracy on those. And that deep pass that Hilton caught, that 60-yard pass off play action, that looked like it was quarters coverage where they were in cover four. And Justin Reed you know, had Hilton one-on-one. Matthew came lower off the play action. And uh, he, had, he had a one-on-one opportunity against Reed. He just, turned, he just spun him around on that one. But overall, I didn't see a whole lot of man. And yet at the same time, like I don't know what Houston could have done differently. You would rather have them play zone with the quarterback talent they have and just to limit as many opportunities you, where you have Sharice Wright in man coverage or – John Joseph the main coverage against T.Y. Hilton. And so I don't think that whatever – if even they played a lot more man, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference in this game. I think they kind of have been worse off in a lot of ways too. Yeah, it's 
you got, you've got uh, you know, Hal and Reed have a lot of range as safeties, but you really can't rely on anybody else out there to stick with the guy with any sort of deep speed. You know, Jackson's not going to do it. Johnson, or Joseph's not going to do it. Treese Wright, uh, you know, my grandma would probably give him a fight. So it's – he's running, If she's running a double move, she definitely could. Oh, yeah, he's just toastable that way. Uh, Walker goes one way, she goes the other way. He'll never pick up on it. <laughs> so, you know, that's the sort of thing. You're right. I mean, what are you supposed to do in that situation? And it's just because you just don't have the talent with the long speed there. And, and we're not asking these guys to cover Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we'll see that come January. Maybe we'll have a to cover Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, yeah, like Sharice Wright, like entering this game, he'd only been targeted 38 times, and he's played over 300 snaps. And to me, that's unbelievable that this guy's out there. He's like 32 years old. He's not good. He's slow. He gets beyond double moves all the time. Like Denver got him like twice. He was able to run back and stop one. Case Keenum overthrew another one. But like it's been there all year long. Zay Jones did him really dirty in that Buffalo game. You know, like these opportunities were there. And the only team to finally attack Sharice Wright was the Colts. They, they threw one touchdown pass to Zach Paschal. And they threw another one. As, well, they threw the one touchdown pass to Zach Paschal, uh, where he really beat him on a double move well. The other one was whenever Eric Ebron and T.Y. Hilton were in that scissors, scissors combination where Houston was able, where Justin Reed was able to flow back over the top and make a play on the ball. But that Pascal route against Sharice Rye is a perfect example of running double moves, getting right one-on-one against a receiver. And Pascal's a pretty good player, but he's not, you know, Mike Williams on the other side or a guy of that caliber. And still, you know, Wright really had no shot at all at that point. Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to believe that we are going to Sharice Wright as a cornerback on this team. It's just that's befuddling. Yeah, and it's been like that all year long, too. Just teams just haven't done anything at all with it. And even then, like T.Y. Hilton this game, he beat Jonathan Joseph. He beat Kareem Jackson. He beat Sharice Wright. He beat Justin Reed. Like, no matter what they did, no matter what they did or who covered him, T.Y. Hilton was able to get open. And I think a lot of people, too, have this idea of Hilton purely as a, a streak route runner, a deep post route runner from, you know, watching him play in 2012. But T.Y. Hilton's, you know, one of the 15 best receivers in football. I hate saying in football after whenever I talk about football at all. Right. But right. We're talking about football, of course. <laughs> and he can run every round the route tree. He can get open every single way. The only time he has trouble is, you know, boxing guys out. Like playing against Jalen Ramsey is hard for him because of Ramsey's physicality. Yeah, against just about every other quarterback in the league, he can get open every way possible. And he did that in this game against Houston. Yeah. And if we play the Colts in the playoffs or whoever we play, I mean, the one, the nightmare matchup for me, I mean, several of them are the Chiefs clearly, but look at what the Steelers have and can throw at you from the wide receiver angle juju schuster smith and antonio brown and the guy who was struggling earlier this year and has playing, been playing well and can't remember his name now then they can bring out jesse james at tight end and vance mcdougall is borderline vance mcdonald i'm sorry he's borderline impossible for us to cover that's yeah, going to be matchup hell much less the chiefs and even james connor on the backfield as well too but yeah and then but it's also the chargers they have to play the chargers it's the Patriots, even though they don't have one great receiver, they have seven different guys. And Houston's never going to beat uh, New England either. The Indy's going to be a really tough matchup. And even I still think Baltimore will be tough just because Houston struggles to score points. And Baltimore runs the ball, but they run the ball with a variety of different poolers and options. And they can really take advantage of Watt and Clowney's aggressiveness against them as well, too. And 
So uh, back to this game real fast. The one thing that Houston has in their favor when it comes to their pass defense is their pass rush. They were, I think they were like seventh in pressure rate during this game, and their, their pass rush is just all J.J. Wadge and Davion Clowney being really good, creating free spaces for the rushers, some cute little interior loops that uh, create interior pressure. But other than Watt and Clowney kind of opening this in some blitzes, you don't have any other pass rushers here that can win one-on-one matchups. Merciless hasn't been good. Covington isn't good. Dunn isn't good. Blackson isn't good. Um, all these guys are – they're fine. Like, you know, they're, you know, they're like – if this is your starring defensive end opposite J.J. Watt, fine. But he's not going to be able to consistently get pass rush. Reader can't rush the pass at all whatsoever. And so in this game, Houston didn't get really a rush at all on Luck. Luck was only sacked twice. He was only hit three times. Uh, Watt had one quarterback hit, one sack. Clowney had zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. And throughout the game, Luck had plenty of time. Um, are you surprised that the Colts' pass rush – or the Texans' pass rush wasn't better at all? Yeah, and I, full credit to you because you're the one who really mentioned it and brought it up is Braden Smith. Uh, wow, he really was – he had a penalty, I think. I think he had a hold during the game. But he was fantastic. He was – he's a tough kid to watch. And then when you add Quentin Nelson to that equation too, all of a sudden the, the – uh, Colts line doesn't look so incompetent anymore. They're really getting some good talent out there. Big mm-hmm. Matt, which is a little bit – I mean, we've always relied on the Colts not having a good offensive line. <laughs> and putting J.J. Wagon's gosh or chairless, you know. Right. That's, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, pre- <laughs> previous days. Yeah, I'll never forget that. I think that was 2014 when gosh or chairless was beat by Watt like 15 times in pass protection. <laughs> At the end of the game, he just – gets beat on this inside move and just sticks his whole foot out and trips him. And it was like the most blatant call I've ever seen, but they didn't call it, of course. Um, but yeah, like Braden Smith, the way they rushed the pass in this game, it was, it was Clowney against Costanzo. Clowney got close a lot of times, but Luck was able to, uh, to step up and get away from him. And he was able to get pressure and get Luck out of the pocket, but wasn't able to have any tangible results. Watt, on the other hand, had the one sack where it seemed like there's a miscommunication on the line where he split Smith and then Joe Haig was bronze and six offensive linemen. They were sliding one gap over, and uh, Haig didn't get all the way inside, so Luck had a free path and was able to split, split that uh, pass protection and get, pick up his sack. But against Brandon Smith, I mean, he got nothing on him at all. Like, Wyatt had zero pressure. He didn't bring any pressure really at all. He couldn't get around Brandon Smith, whether as, you know, a bull rush or an outside jet, uh, using inside moves to swim. He really couldn't get anything against Smith at all whatsoever. And that's kind of the other thing about this is that whenever Houston doesn't have the pass rush going, they can't, they can't play any coverage at all whatsoever. And it makes it kind of like impossible to have a competent offense. Whenever you play or a competent defense against teams that can actually throw the ball downfield and have a you know, good quarterback play. And so like overall, like it was, it was really kind of frustrating watching the pass rush you know, be as non-existent as it is. Yeah, and the other thing is we do a decent job. We have done a decent job this year, and I wanted to bring this up for sure tonight. Is Tyron Matthew is, is a good blitzer. Kareem Jackson, I think, is an excellent blitzer. They're the only two you're really going to send to the quarterback, though. Um, so those are two options to, to blitz a safety, but then you're taking the guy off the back end, when, and do you really want to do that with the, everybody else, you know, every other talent that's out there? But what's happened to Benardrick McKinney and home blitzing? That, I missed that. I missed those A-gap blitzes, those A-gap uh, stunts. Where, mm-hmm. Where's that been? It was so successful in 2015, 2016. Why has it disappeared out of the repertoire? Yeah, he had one in this game where he created, he created pressure and was able to put a hit on luck. 
that forcing incompletion. But overall, they weren't really doing a whole lot looping on the inside. Um, and, like, even, you know, I think Jackson's a much better blitzer than Matthew. Matthew's good at, like, faking and popping back and then going to kind of help create free rush lanes. But if there's any sort of running back there at all, he's not going to get around him at all. He's only good if he has a completely free back. Compared to Kareem Jackson, who's, like, a Tasmanian devil, whatever he blitzes. Like, he'll go – like that. I'll never forget that Saki against the Bengals where – he leaps over the running back, hits Dalton, forces the fumble, and Houston recovers. And, like, that's what a great blitzer is. Matthew's fine at timing and delaying to be able to create free pass. Maybe he doesn't have a free path. He's not going to really get there all that much. But, yeah, like, overall in the interior, they just didn't, they didn't do enough to be able to create pressure on the interior because they don't have the talent to do so, like you're mentioning. You have to blitz Zach Cunningham. You have to blitz McKinney. You have to blitz, you know, Matthew and Jackson, create interior pressure for them. Yeah, I just, I, I still, man, I, I, and I hate to do it to myself. Just think if we'd have moved Kareem Jackson safety in 2014, what kind of career he'd be putting up. Yeah. And put him in those situations. He would have been, he would have been a really freaking top of the line safety for a lot of years. Yeah, because he was starting to decline in 14, too. Like, I remember him guarding T.Y. Hilton that Colts game. Yeah, yeah. T.Y. Hilton just obliterated him. He it's just, his footwork has never been good enough. And, as he's gotten slower and older, you know, he can't make up for it like he used to. Yeah, because uh, he's 30 now. He's, you know, I don't know how much life he's going to have left. He's going to have maybe next year. I think playing safety, he'll probably play another three more years or so. Four years, yeah. Yeah. Back, yeah. yeah. And, he does, and he has, like, enough skill. And he's, he's also such a good tackler, too, mm-hmm. so he'll be all right. Um, the, so the Colts' offensive line now, it's a lot different than the offensive line Houston faced in week four. His offensive line, Houston faced week four with Lon Clowney. That was their coming out game because the first three weeks, Lon had some nice rushes. Like he had a really good game against New York, but overall, Lon and Clowney were pretty much non-existent to start the year. And in that game, yeah, Clowney had the the touchdown uh, recovering the end zone. Lon had the strip sack on in in these red zone. Uh, Clowney did a lot of really cool interior blitzes. He beat the left tackle multiple times. He was able to create a lot of pressure. But in this game, they're kind of settling offensive line now. We have Anthony Costanzo left tackle. Costanzo's as mediocre as he gets, but it's a lot better than having Yola Raven Clark there and then Joe Haig on, on the right side. Quentin Nelson's left guard. He's been playing a lot better lately, too. Ryan Kelly was out this game, and then they had Glow Niski at right guard, even though Matt Slauson's better, but he's hurt. And then right tackle, they had Brayden Smith. And I think really the key to their offensive line that's now third in pressure rate has just been like how much better Costanzo and Brayden Smith are. Dan LaRaven Clark, who I still like as a developmental a possible future starting left tackle in the league. But Joe Haig, you know, is kind of unplayable. And so with this better tackle combination and Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Bear playing together, uh, this is the best offensive line Andrew Luck has had, especially pass protection-wise. And, you know, it's, it's nice seeing what Andrew Luck can do, uh, even as, as being a hateful Texans fan, as somebody who just likes football, like watching good players do good things. It's been enjoyable to watch, like, see what happens whenever Luck actually has time to throw the ball. Yeah, and, you know, you, we've touched on a little bit. Quentin Nelson, he's going to be in a conversation of the best guard in the NFL within, what, next year? <laughs> he's good. Yeah, I like watching him pull. He's so wide, too. And he's, he's the feet, and he, he plays – He's like one of those, you know, you said Tasmanian devil, so I need to come up with another analogy. But he just, every every snap, he is just all out. He's just, man, he's out there to pancake you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, kind of, I got a little mad, though, when people were saying he's one of the best guards in football right now because 
you know, David DeCastro, Doug Martin, Marshall Yanda. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys who've been doing this for a long time who, who are better than Nelson is right now, but because he was a top pick and, you know, it kind of comes along with the pedigree of it. So, but yeah, he's fun to watch. The Colts are, Colts offense line's good. And, you know, Houston may play this team again in January in the playoffs potentially, and the same problems are going to be there. Luck can throw the ball downfield. They don't have anybody who can cover Hilton. Eric Ebron, Zach Pass will cause, will cause problems. Even like Chester Rogers had some nice catches in this game where he was able to get some stuff after the catch. Uh, you know, Ryan Grant wasn't existent, but you know, that's a lot different covering Ryan Grant than you know, the Bills' fourth or fifth wide receiver. And then also at the pass blocking that they have too, they can limit Lon Clowney. You know, this, is a, this is not a team that they want to be playing even at home uh, in the first round of the playoffs this year. No, and, and just putting it, you know, the DVOA, like pulling out the DVOA, they're seventh on offensive line and fourth in pass throw. Mm-hmm. We saw that. We saw that on Sunday. Yeah, and I, I don't think their run blocking's been all that great, but their pass blocking's been uh, you know, really great so far this year. Now we had a question from Pearl Onions. He asked, why don't the Texans do more blitzing after us talking about uh, them not blitzing at all? Is it because opposing quarterbacks are so smart they know how to bust the blitz? If that's true, where do we go from here? I think I need a map, but I think he meant map. But regardless, I think needing a map is more uh, is more is a better way to say it for this for this question. Right. Here, I'm going to propose this to you, Matt, and and we're going to get to your your question, Pearl. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rip. Uh, is that um, what I don't want to see ever is Whitney Merciless or Clowney dropping back into coverage. And so why do we have guys like Blackson and Christian Covington getting snaps on third down and dropping those two guys out in coverage? It doesn't happen a lot, but just the fact that it happens at all bothers the heck out of me. So my, my bigger deal is why aren't we putting the personnel we should be putting out there on third down to get to the quarterback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm fine with it occasionally, especially if you're playing like a younger quarterback so that you can bait with hook zones kind of like what they did at Baker Mayfield was at Cunningham, but it shouldn't be happening, you know, more than, you know, four or five times a game. It should be more of a change up. Um, you know, I, I think that was kind of the frustrating thing too. And the pass rush is bad is that Cornell wasn't using enough interior blitzes. Like you mentioned about McKinney and Cunningham and those sorts of things. And the reason why was just because they played a lot of zone. And when you play zone, you want to have, you know, as many guys back there to cover as much of the field as possible. They're playing man coverage and you're just running around chasing and you just have one-on-one matchups. And also, I think Cornell expects, too, like, whenever I have Watt and Clowney, I should be able to get a pass rush with my front four. When I have these guys, if I can't do that, I, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do from there. But I think the biggest reason why is they just played a lot of zone and try to keep as many guys back there to cover and limit the, limit the amount of space each player had to cover as well, too. Yeah, because and this is not a team that can go zero coverage. Yeah. <laughs> that would just be – that would be death. So it's, you know, I, I see your point, but also, you know, there, I think there are more imaginative things that you can do uh, to cover that up and playing the guys you should be playing. Like, you know, I just, whenever I see Covington out there or Blackson or um, Dunn on a third down, I'm just going, why? Mm-hmm. Or even DJ Reader. I love DJ Reader, but why are you out there in third down? You, you have no business being out there. Yeah. I think, yeah, part of it, they don't have a lot of options. I think also part of it, too, is they love to put Watt at right what? tackle. Like, he has to rush against the right tackle. And like, in this game, his best matchup wasn't against Brain Smith. His, bas- his best matchup was against Glowiniski at right guard. And, but because that's just how they've done all year, put Watt at right tackle, Clown at left tackle. 
that's what they stuck with. And it put Watt into a much, much more difficult matchup than if he was rushing on the interior too. Yeah, and that's the one other thing I wanted to get to is he had the one uh, play on a run where he had a swim move, move over Glowinski where he blew the play up. And why is he playing – why is he almost always wide these days on third down? Why aren't we playing him on the interior? I would like to see that a lot more too. Yeah. Or even rush like Clowney and Watt as like three techniques and put Merciless and Edgy yeah. from the outside or something too. Because uh, yeah. your, your pass to the quarterback is shorter. But, yeah, I – because that was my idea earlier in the year that they were just going to use Watt and whatever the easiest matchup is. And you happen to be the right tackle in those early games. But now it just seems like he's going to rush against the right tackle. Clowns going to rush against the left tackle. And that's how they're going to go from there every time. But hopefully we can see a little bit more creativity in the interior. Yeah. So this, I don't think this has been Romeo Cornell's best year, but he should certainly be still the better coordinator on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's there's not a whole lot of them there. There's only one of them. So, well, I was thinking between the two coordinators of the team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess like yeah, Bill O'Brien, head coach slash offensive coordinator. I don't really even call him a coordinator at all, though. Yeah. He's the guy with the Madden controller calling the plays. He's player right. one. <laughs> so the the Colts rushing offense this game. You know, they only scored 24 points. I still feel like they could have scored a lot more. I think left a lot of points at the table because they had some like. You know, first and ten runs that they would lose a yard, get one yard. They would have some second and sevens where they would try to run the ball again too. It's like, why are you doing this all whatsoever? And on the ground with their running backs, they picked up uh, 17 carries for 34 yards. They averaged 2.0, 2.0 yards to attempt. Uh, Marlon Mack had 13 of these carries. Himes had four of them. I think Himes only had like four yards on his four carries. And like, I really like every single time they ran the ball, it just kind of stopped. It's like putting a fork in the garbage disposal, just stop what Indy was doing that was working so well. And it just kind of ruined the flow of the game. And so, like, I think, I think Indy could have had a better game if they didn't run the ball as much as they did. And we're also talking about a team that ran the ball only 17 times, and it felt like 17 times too many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so let's just look at the totals for both teams because the problem was both sides of the ball, right? It was like, why are, you, why are we running the ball? Why are we so insistent on running the ball? This is the 2018 NFL. We have the forward pass. So the Colts were 17, not counting Andrew Luck, 17 for 34, two yards of carry. The Texans were 20 for 54, so 2.7 yards of carry. Mm-hmm. That you're just, you're just killing yourself trying to run the ball. And the fact that we ran the ball 20 times is just really depressing to me. Mm-hmm. And especially the Colts. <laughs> The Colts' defense is fourth in DVOA as well, too. Uh, so, I guess the, the Texans' defense, is there anything else that you want to add to them at all? No, Justin Reed still makes a lot of mistakes, but he's a rookie. So, I know a lot of people are kind of upset with his play over the weekend, but uh, he's going to make mistakes. It's just a learning experience. Safety is a hard position to pick up your rookie year. There's, you know, This is a great safety class, and Justin Reed will be amongst them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still, he's still a baby, and – like giving up a 60-yard pass to T.Y. Hilton where you're playing man coverage uh, you know, isn't the worst thing in the world because if it wasn't him, it would have been Tyra Matthew or it would have been Andre Hall or somebody else. With considering like it was such a great play call too by Indy where it's first and 10, they go heavy, they only have two routes going out there. They run play action, draw like eight guys up, and they were down 7-0 at that point too. And so like, it was a perfect chance to take a big shot, and it worked out you know, perfectly. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about the Texans' uh, offense in this game a little bit about – yeah, we're going to talk about their offense when we come back. Ouch. 
and we're back. So entering this game, like I know we had this conversation week four, and like I don't want to be. I hate being those people that are like, oh, I hate to say I told you or I was right or whatever. But I'll take this one. I told you in week four the Colts defense is actually pretty good. Like it's solid, and that was in week four. And now, like as these young guys have come together, uh, they've become into like an actual like good defense. Right now, they were they were 11th in defensive DVOA entering this game. They're fourth against the run. Uh, and, like, what Chris Ballard has done getting production from, like, Pierre Desaire, from Kenny Moore, from Clayton Gathers, from Marcus Hunt. Like, Danico Autry had, has had five sacks in back-to-back weeks, which is just unbelievable that, like, Chris Ballard's had this, like, Bill Belichick in uh, just ability to just get production out of bad players. And they're kind of like Houston where they have a good run defense, but their pass defense isn't that good. And the Texans going up against this defense only scored 21 points. They fell behind early, and they were forced to actually have to score points in this game compared to previously where they go up 13-6, and they can run the ball, you know, enough, and they run the ball enough, and Watson makes one or two big plays. They can, you know, if you do that over the course of four drives, you're eventually going to score. And also without having a non-offensive touchdown, you know, it's harder for them to score 21 points in this game too. And they failed. They scored 21 points, but it was only four points less than their season average. So it didn't really feel like that weird of an offensive game for Houston. It kind of felt like the norm, except they didn't have the offensive touchdown. They were behind. Uh, were you kind of like, were you surprised going back to kind of the defense to start the, or the, the defense start this game? Were you surprised all by Houston's offense against the Colts defense? No, not, not anymore. I'm not surprised by, because look, we, we talked about one big thing. The Texans ran the ball 20 times for 2.7 yards of carry. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's once again, if when do you learn that you can't run the ball against the other team. And we were having a difficult time. And I tell you, those linebackers are fan- – those young linebackers are fantastic. Walker and Darius Leonard. Leonard's just a tackling machine. He's a- Yeah, and they're both 23 years old too. God, that's, that's a great duo to have there. Sheard found the, found the youth. Marcus Hunt found football. <laughs> that's he didn't need a German dude. Yeah, like, yeah. and Sheard's been really good for like – two years now too just nobody knows about him because he plays for indy you know and he played for cleveland before that yeah yeah and I, he so. played for cleveland then new england then indy i think is that's right it. that's right i forgot the new england stop yeah but uh, uh they're they're not bad and those linebackers really do a great job setting everything up for them so um no i am not surprised by this you know the texans really are a 20 point a week team offensively and mm-hmm. so every once in a while they, i think we've got what three or four defensive touchdowns this year that have really helped and uh, that have literally won games for us. Yeah. And so it's, I think that if you just look at the text and you say, okay, if they're not going to get a defensive touchdown, they're going to score about 20 points a game. Yeah. Okay, we had a breakout game against Miami and we scored a little bit more against the BSFs one game and that's it. But every other game, if you look at what we score on a weekly basis is right offensively, it's right at 20 points a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I know they have three non-offensive touchdowns. The Miami game, Will Fuller was spectacular, of course. The Tennessee game, you know, Lamar Miller had a 97-yard touchdown run. And like, these things still count to what they did. They still had success to have these plays. But they're still kind of caveats and more context to, you know, their overall kind of point score numbers uh, lately. But, yeah, I mean, this team struggles to score 21 points. And, and then the thing that, you know, we've been harping on as well, too, even during the win streak especially – well, during the win streak especially, it wasn't that, like uh, – we didn't think the Texans team was bad or whatever. It was that they need to score more points to be able to beat good passing teams because they're not going to be able to stop the pass. And they need to start practicing this now. Like these solid, hard-fought, conservative 
you know, 13 wins, these games where the Redskins and Broncos miss game-winning field goals or game-tying field goals. These are all good wins. You know, they all count in the end of the day. It doesn't matter, I guess, at that point. But uh, this is a time for the offense to actually keep working to become a better offense, to understand how to be able to score 31 points if they need to. And so in this game, it felt like Houston fell behind. They're like, okay, now we actually have to do something. All right, now we're running play action. Now we're running jet sweeps. Now Watson's being used as a runner, even though it didn't work that well uh, because the Colts linebackers are fast. Their safeties were kind of all over the place too. Uh, now we're taking shots deep, but Watson's overthrowing everything and missing everything that he has open because he's only throwing, you know, two deep passes a game previously. And so I think there was a lot of rest here too offensively where they have the talent and the ability to be a good offense and score these points, but you can't just flip the switch. And it was really kind of felt like that's what they did where they fell behind and they were able to do it. No, and I think you put it, that's really well put. I'm just going to 100% agree with you. You can't go in week in, week out, thinking you're going to pound the ball. And again, I'm going to go back to the quote from, from Bill O'Brien from last week that the announcer said, is that Bill O'Brien is much more comfortable and okay with just running the ball rather than trying to push the ball downfield. And so we are already going to set ourselves up to put up to be in a position that if we fall behind it all, we're going to have a really hard time trying to catch up. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened, for, in my opinion, on Sunday, is that we fell behind. You know, uh, Indy's reeled off, was it, uh, we went ahead 7 nothing, and then uh, Indy scored 17 straight after that, and then we were 17-14 and having to come back and, and do that. And that sounds really sad, but the Texans trying to come back from 24-14 to 14 in the fourth quarter just does not sound like even a realistic goal. Yeah, and, they all, and also that fourth quarter, too, they were down 24-14, they had, you know, four different drives, too, to be able to come back. And they kept getting stuck in third and longs and were, were stuck punting, too. Um, and so, like, I mean, I understand QD's out, Demarius Thomas is here, Will Fuller's out, and those sorts of things. But, I mean, the offense being as, as you know, run first and run heavy without any sort of interest or intrigue or uh, doing anything, like, creative at all offensively for, I think, six weeks or so, you know, was a bad move. Like that was the time for this offensive work at getting better. And now hopefully this is a lesson learned for Bill O'Brien. Uh, we'll see. I know you had your quote. I saw Deshaun Watson had a quote, which I saw he had a quote with something I read on Twitter that said, uh, what did you learn from this week? And Deshaun Watson said, I need to be more disciplined in the system. When the only thing he did well in this game was whenever the system broke down, he got outside the pocket and was able to run, was able to find receivers open on the, on the move. You know, he did a good job, two fine tight ends, and the play action worked pretty well. They just didn't run play action enough. But overall, like, staying in the – trusting the system kept him inside the pocket, not finding anybody open and getting sacked five times. It's, I hate him saying that so very <laughs> much. It's just like, oh, God, you're just completely lacking in awareness. When you were kicking ass in 2017, it was because you were out there playing street ball. You were out there pushing the ball down the field, having fun, throwing it around because you can do that, right? And instead, we're going to go back to Bill O'Brien's 11-dimensional offense that nobody but Tom Brady can run. Or Tom and, Savage. Don't forget that guy, too. Oh, yeah, or Tom Savage. Yeah, he was brutally effective in it. <laughs> I mean that literally. And um, um, it's just – it kills me. It kills me to say that. It's, it's, it goes back to why do I hate Bill O'Brien so much is because I see the Deshaun Watson. We've made the analogy before. Deshaun Watson's the shiny Ferrari we have in the garage. And Bill O'Brien takes him out on Sundays and drives at 25 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's a good analogy. And, and it's like, or, uh, and then like Will Fuller is like his wife and he only drives it fast if she's in the car or whatever. Or like that. Right. Oh, and then she's not in the car. Yeah, whatever, yeah. And it's like, so if the offense requires, is that dependent on a guy who can't play more than, you know, nine games a year or whatever, that's not, that's not sustainable offense. There's other things that you need to do. And next year, hopefully they're able to answer that. Uh, a little bit better and you know cutie hasn't played very often this year too his hamstring's been hurt if you're counting on him you're not running an offense you know the right way too so I found that frustrating and I liked it was cool what Indy did on defense too they did a lot of nickelback blitzes which is a, a very good band as well too and they use Kenny Moore especially they've been doing it all year with him blitzing him from the slot uh, they used uh number 30 I can't remember his name now I think it was Quentin Couples they used him on one that worked out pretty well too but consistently they're blitzing from the slot and the reason why that works so effectively against Houston is one like Watson wasn't seeing it and two the amount of chipping that they do whenever you're blitzing from the slot you're running right past the tight ends block on the outside like Ryan Griffin's turning and chipping not even seeing the defensive back come that way and they don't have a blocker back on the other end because that running back has Ryan Griffin on that side who's supposed to be chipping and so he's not worrying about any sort of edge rushing at all there and they kept it was kind of like it reminded me just commercial fishing where they would blitz from the slot and just throw this giant net out and then keep Watson in this net and keep him trapped in the pocket. And the other thing Kenny Moore did really well too was he would take an outside path also. He wouldn't come directly at Watson. He wouldn't come underneath him. He would come outside and kind of loop back to him to keep him there and not let him escape. And it, you know, it worked really well. Watson was sacked five times. I saw some stat that Lance Zierland said from uh, NFL Next Gen Stats that – on Watson's uh, five sacks, four of them came after him holding the ball for four seconds or longer. And then when you add all that to nothing being open downfield, you know, it was just an absolute uh, nightmare for the passing game. Yeah, and just, you know, get to to accent what you said is that what that wasn't allowed, it wasn't allowing Deshaun Watson to get outside. Mm-hmm. So you're, 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 what's the best, or sacrificing your tight end to do a chip block, which doesn't get him out into a, a route quickly. That's the sacrifice you make. And then you've got the, uh, the defensive back coming off the edge and looping around, not allowing, allowing Watson to get back behind him. Yeah, the defensive back setting the edge on a blitz, basically. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, on the, on the other side, you're not getting the chipping help, so you're going to have a bigger problem getting stuck in the pass. Door. So you're just basically forcing Watson to stay in the pocket and, if anything, try to climb the pocket. And we aren't the sort of team that has the blocking to be able to afford that. When you add on to it, once again, I like to stress this, is the complexity of the offense. It's just that let's give Deshaun Watson, like, two quick reads. Let's give him, a, you know, a primary and then a hot. And he's going to do one of those instead of going through all the progressions. Just let him play street ball, you know? That's where he's going to be better. And so you put these complex offenses in, makes him think more. That's why he's holding on to the ball. And then he also kind of doesn't have the confidence to throw to guys like DeAndre Hopkins who win fights in a box. Mm-hmm. So teams we, we have such a profile and it's kind of an easy profile to go after offensively because Bill O'Brien hamstrings the team so badly by running the ball too much and making Deshaun Watson make too many decisions mm-hmm. yeah I didn't see that and then even with the chipping too right now is that their second best wide receiver is either Demarius Thomas or Jordan Aikens and Jordan Thomas and so by chipping you're not like you kind of have to at times but I really didn't feel like they had to as much as they did this game. Like, Marcus Hunt's fine. Jamal Sheard's, you know, really good. But is Jamal Sheard going to have four sacks in the game or whatever? 
Danico Autry rushed primarily from the interior and took advantage of Sunil Calamante's hands and him making some mistakes. But overall, like you're losing not only uh, you're not only delaying a route, but you're losing one of your best pass catchers that you have available to you when you do that as well too. And so like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like overall, like it was hard to tell what was happening like live because you have a television where you can't see that far past that. Like that's the horizon. You can't see what's past it. And I don't know why nobody was open, but just nobody was open. And it's weird too. And you have DeAndre Hopkins who I'm going up against, you know, Pierre Desaire, Kenny Moore, which are okay players. This is still the 20, 20th best pass defense in the league right now. And they just couldn't get it moving very well at all uh, through the air. Man, when you don't practice it during the games, early in the season against teams you should be, then mm-hmm. just keep handing the ball to Alfred freaking blue and throwing the ball to Ryan Griffin. Well, guess what? When he needs stars to step up, that you haven't been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It and maybe, me. yeah. And also, and I mean, I guess like the only, like I was kind of, like, you know, in a, in a masochistic, like hopeful way, I was kind of excited for Houston to be down early and be put in the situation because winning nine games in a row, you don't really see your faults as much as whenever you're, you know, 0 and 3 or whatever at the time. And so I'm hoping that after this game, Houston hopefully understands and learns that, hey, like we have to get pressure on the quarterback. We're going to have to blitz on the interior. Even though we don't want to play man, we're going to have to blitz. We can settle for, you know, zone maybe on, you know, longer situations. And then offensively, like, we have to be more aggressive. We have to see more shots on the field because every play against teams that throw the ball, we have to be able to score 31 points to win these games. And so that's the only optimism I have coming from this game is that from a, from a bad loss and getting beat more than what the score indicated, uh, hopefully there's something that they learn to take, and take out into the future as they go play the Jets, the Eagles, and the Jaguars in the season. Yeah, so, so let's, let's just, you know, take a – little quick sidestep here and, you know, look at the DVOA numbers and what happened. So Houston slipped two points, two spots last week overall def- uh, defensively. Sitting now we're 16th against the pass. or second against the run. We're right up there with Chicago uh, against the run. And we're eighth overall defensively. So that's, that's one game, once again, pushes back a couple spots. Mm-hmm. And you go offensively, we stuck right at 21st. And we're now 12th passing, and it was terrible rushing. 26th rushing the ball. Do you remember, like, the first three games of the season, everybody was like, hey, don't worry about the first three games because our, pa- our run deep, our run offense is so awesome. And it's, like, gone downhill since. Like, teams just stack yeah. the box against us. And yeah. I don't really even remember that. I remember Watson being used as a runner and it working a lot better. But now they're not using him as a runner after he had his lungs, you know, deflated and stuck right in the bus. Right, right. Yeah, so, but yeah, well, that was just, you know, the, the talk the first three weeks that I saw mm-hmm. on the blog. And so, you know, offensively, we're just not very, we're not very good. D- just to give you, once again, perspective, Miami is 20th, we're 21st, the Bears are 22nd, VSFs are 23rd, and mm-hmm. Detroit is 24th. Those I, are some I, gosh, I hate watching the Lions play. The Lions are the worst team in football to, to watch, aside from the Bills. But you like, the, Josh Allen, you're right. Josh he's Allen's so much the last fun. watch. Gosh, he's so much fun. And Matthew Stafford's now Alex Smith, and they're going to pay him thirty one million dollars. He's the worst version of Alex Smith, and I really, I really know. I'm going to get too mad. I don't want to talk about that just yet. Um, the last thing I want to talk about for this for the offense is the run game specifically, and the biggest problem I saw with it was that Kendall Lamb was unplayable Terrible. in the run game. Like Jabal Sheer looked like Jadavion Clowney against him. He was con- he would like punch him off the line and draw him back three yards into the running back. 
and just like grab Lamar Miller by his ankles. He was – Kendall Lamb couldn't get his head placement correctly against him in the outside zone, so they couldn't run those plays either. And it really just kind of limited what Houston could do uh, in the run game whatsoever. And, like, you know, I, I've said, you know, throughout the year that Kendall Lamb has been, you know, somewhat competent, and there's something to say for that, that being somewhat competent is a lot better than being unplayable, like Julian Davenport was at right tackle when he was there. But, uh, you know, whenever you play against talented players and guys of this caliber, like Jabal Shear, who I always, you know, I've always said is severely underrated, uh, you know, games like this happen. And, like, I, I haven't seen a tackle get this be in the run game in a long time. Like, it was – I felt bad for him. I didn't like him Lamb that much, and I felt bad for him watching this game. Well, I, first of all, I think it was very unfair that the Texans made Kendall Lamb wear roller skates for this game <laughs> because it looked like he was wearing them all freaking game. And, and once again, Man Proster, buddy, uh, Rovers McCown, uh, who, did, who does, like, awesome uh, GIF work during game, he was just pointing out multiple times that Kendall Lamb was just going backwards. I mean, it was – there. this was, like, old-school J.J. Watt pushing the tackle or pushing the guard on a bull rush, just where, like, the guy had absolutely no free will. Mm-hmm. And that was Jabal Sheard on Kendall Lamb, like, almost the entire game. Like, Kendall Lamb had no free will. He was just the puppet for Jabal Sheard, the puppet master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I like Sheard, so it's, like, kind of weird at the same time, too. Like, I'm watching this, I'm like, yeah, the Texans are uh, my favorite football team, but I really like Jabal Sheard. And, you know, it's kind of cool how much he's working Kendall Lamb right now. Uh, just by like, – it was just so, like, technical. And it was, it was fun and sad at the same time. But, you know, Houston couldn't get anything on the ground. I think that was the biggest difference. And also – Blocking Anthony Walker and Darius Leonard is really hard to do. And even though the Houston's done a better job in the second level the past two weeks, uh, blocking those two guys is a much more difficult task to have. Yeah, those two guys are really good. I'm just watching them play on Sunday was, was a real pleasure. Yeah. Darius Walker is undrafted free agent. Leonard was a second-round pick, you know. And, like, I, I still can't get over how good of a job Chris Ballard's done building this defense off just nothing. No, no money, no draft capital really at all. Just by picking up random dudes. There's <laughs> a lot of random dudes. Well done. I got, you know, you've been right. You've been right about it, and you, you deserve a victory lap. Um, well, and also next year, too, the Colts have $100 million in cap space, and their biggest free agents are Ryan Grant, Matt Sloss, and Al Woods, and Clay Gathers. So, like, they don't need to re-sign any of these guys. They're having a ton of money to spend. They're already 7-6 and six right now, and uh, luck, luck is back, so – the culture me horrified, you know, all over again. Those like two years of sad, two or three years of sad Andrew Luck. I don't think he's gonna be sad for very much longer at all. No, and I keep forgetting. I keep meaning to take a look at the at the free agents next year to see who's gonna be worth the poop. And uh, now it's not the time for me to do that. Hey, Greg, Greg Robinson's gonna be available. That'll help him. <laughs> I think we talked about that last week. Oh yeah, we already made fun of him. Yeah, Eric yeah. Flowers. So I need to take a look at this. Yeah. And get this start start thinking. Because you know, we're we're getting to the point. It's week fifteen. We're going we got two more regular season games left. We got the bye week in the playoffs and then the season ends the week after that. So it's, it's just about time to start looking at this sort of thing. Yeah, we got we have all we have like all of February, all of March. We have plenty of time for that. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna talk about the Texans. Or I guess the AFC playoff AFC playoff picture real quick. And then we'll talk about the Texans-Jets game this weekend. And we're back. So this past weekend was super weird in the AFC because the Patriots lost to the Dolphins. 
The Steelers lost to the Raiders after Roethlisberger was pulled and their kicker slipped, uh, which was super funny. The Chargers struggled against the Bengals, but they were able to win. The Baltimore Ravens lost to the Chiefs, and they're 7-6. and six. And they're also tied with the Colts, Dolphins, and Titans. They're all 7-6. Uh, so there's four teams tied for the number six spot, but currently the Ravens have that uh, spot at the moment. And also this week, the Ravens are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that struggles at stopping the run, and all the Ravens do is run the football. So, And even now, the Ravens have a chance to win the AFC North, potentially, with the Steelers being 7-5-1. So currently the playoffs are going to start today. It'd be, it'd be Texans, Ravens, and then uh, Chargers, Steelers, and the AFC in the first round. Yes. yes. That, would be it. that would be it. I don't really have a lot to say about the playoff picture because it's just been kind of like this, but it's, uh, you have one eye open and kind of looking at that. So this week, Houston's playing on Saturday, Saturday afternoon football. Uh, they're playing the New York Jets. God, so, do you watch college football? You watch the, the Texas Longhorns. What time, when's the better time to watch football in your mind, Sunday at noon or Saturday at, at noon? Which day do you prefer to watch a football game? The, the noon games are really hard on me, especially as a parent. Um, true story, the two th- between 2000 and – how old's the boy? Yeah, between 2003 and 2008 – I barely watched any games live. I would record the games and watch mm-hmm. them at night. And usually I'd have to go to a bar to even watch the games. And so um, because I try to focus on being a parent, these days I'm just a crappy parent and freely admit it because I'm working so much. But um, so that's, that's true. It's, it's, especially as a parent, that's really hard. Sunday at noon, like, you know what? The kids don't want to watch a football game. You might be shocked to know that when they're like four years old. So. Um, I would much rather blow my Sunday because I'm kind of going to be cooking and inside preparing for the week anyway. And Saturdays are really rough. So yeah, give me those Sunday noon games over the Saturday noon games. Yeah. I feel the same way as well too. I can only do one day of football watching like on the couch for three hours. And then I can only do one game of it too. And then I just watch condensed games and uh, take a bunch of speed and get through the rest of them. But I can't do two weekends, and that's kind of the main reason why I don't watch college football is, one, I can't do two weekends, two days of football on the weekend. And also those games take like four hours, you know, and so it's really hard to watch. And also I didn't go to any of those schools. So uh, the timing of this game being, it's, being a Saturday, I'm not super excited for it. But then again, I'm, I'm going to be walking around the desert this weekend anyways and uh, won't be around for it. So, <laughs> But I'm still ready. I'm still ready for it. I've watched that Jets-Bills game, and I, I can't stop thinking about it because – Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen is just such a classic quarterback battle. And I hope we get to see it for just 15 years to come. <laughs> oh, my God. They're both so bad. It was just the, just the dumbest quarterback play. But, yeah, it was so, like, exciting. And there was just so many beautiful moments. Like, Josh Allen almost broke a quarterback sneak. Like, a third and one quarterback sneak, he, he picked up five yards for it and was stumbling. And if he didn't stumble, he would have ran 45 yards to score. Oh, I missed that. With just these, like, absurd interceptions. And now I know where he throws this just, like, beautiful rainbow down the sideline, and he's just a pot of gold Robbie Anderson. And they're just, just so back and forth and with just, like, these huge highs and then these huge lows. And, uh, you know, it just, it's just, like, it's frontal lobeless football is what it is. Right. Right. That's a great way to put it. And, yeah, Josh Allen – Look, I, I can't. It's really hard for me to disagree. Yes, he's absolutely one of the most exciting players in the NFL to watch. Now, personally, now my favorite quarterback to watch is Nathan Peterman. 
because you just you know the interception's coming, you just don't know who's gonna get it. Yeah. So he's a lot of fun to watch. And it's also kind of that Josh Allen feel to it because you know some crazy thing's gonna happen, but he's not actually gonna do a quarterback thing. He's gonna do yeah. like a running back thing. So he's, like I mean he makes some throws where like he's hit in the face and it's just thirty five yards and perfect. And right. all of a sudden it's like a four yard screen pass, you have no idea where it's gonna end up. I think Nathan Pierman's like it's just like torture porn. It's like watching like a hospital floor or something, you know? Like yeah, it's gonna be bad and a lot of people are gonna die, but I'm in a really bad spot right now. <laughs> Josh Allen is negative five hundred and forty nine D Y A R passed mm-hmm. by only Josh Rosen's negative seven hundred. Man, both those guys. Rosen's I feel so bad for Rosen. Yeah, but Rosen's in a different spot. I mean Rosen's in the least talented team in the league right now. Everybody's anybody who's good is dead. The worst offensive line of football, for sure. Yeah. So uh, so this game, Sam Darnold's expected to start and play instead of Josh McCown. Does this hurt or help Houston's chances? Oh, <laughs> uh, I could easily see this as a game where the Texans score, like, 45 points, like two or three defensive touchdowns kind of thing. Sam Darnold's a turnover machine. Romeo Cornell eats up this kind of qu- – Quarterback, I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to get ugly quickly. I don't think there's any way in Hades this game's going to be close, Matt. I just mm-hmm. – Sam Darnold's just terrible. Yeah, and, like, I mean, obviously this game for the Jets, if they want a better chance to win, they would play Josh McCown. But at 4-9, it doesn't matter if they win a football game at all anymore. And, like, McCown's been pretty good this year. You know, he's, like, the perfect backup quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and Darnold's leading the league at interceptions right now despite only playing, I think, like – 80% of the Jets games this year too. And so like I, I don't made enough throws and his arm is good enough that there's something there, but this year it's not there. And he's, he's been just really bad. And so by it, by Darnold playing Steph Josh McCown, it really just helps Houston win this game. Yeah. And I, yeah, no, I, I think you nailed it because McCown's not going to make as many errors. Darnold's going to throw a couple of picks. He's going to fumble the ball once. Mm-hmm. Um, he's there's going to be a lot of mistakes made, and I don't even think they've got a running. The Jets have a running back who can do anything. Crowell's hurt. His backup got hurt during the week. Elijah McGuire is okay. Yeah, he's one in a second running back. You know, so you're talking like Trenton Cannon. I think is supposed to play a lot this weekend. They're they're just a nightmare. They're a mess. Yeah, and the thing about the Jets too is that not only have they thrown the ball only uh, 423 times, just 23rd in football. They've run the ball 335 times, just 14th in the league. And the only reason why they haven't run it, run it more is because they don't run a lot of plays because they're constantly punting. <laughs> and when they run the football, guess what? They're bad at it. They're 25th in yards in attempt. They're 28th in rush offense DVOA. Whenever I looked up these numbers this morning, I know the new ones came out. And they just aren't good at it. So is this all you need to know to make a prediction for this game? Yeah, I think this game is going to be ugly. I think it's going to be ugly quickly. So I'm going to go – I'm seriously – I'm going to say it's going to be a blowout. I'm going to say Texans 45, Jets 6. I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Houston 27 and then the Jets 13. Because, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a Houston sort of game. I think it's a lot be a lot like that Cleveland game where – I think uh, Donald, there's, you know, there's, he can do some cute things here and there. But overall, the thing is, this, it just really comes down to this. The Jets have to run the football. The Texans have the best run defensive <laughs> football. The Jets can't throw the football, and the Texans can't stop the pass that well. But it doesn't matter because the Jets can't even do it. And, like, even their receivers, Robbie Anderson and Quincy Newmore are good. 
but that's who you want is like your third wide receiver, not your first and second wide receiver. Like I would love Robbie Anderson is like, like playing aside from playing on the other side of DeAndre Hopkins or playing in the slot somewhere, but you don't want him to be your best receiver. And the Jets are kind of stuck there. And like you mentioned about the running back play, like it's like, they're fine. McGuire is fine. Cannon's fine, but their offensive line doesn't run block very well. They don't pass block very well. Uh, this entire offense is a mess. Defensively, the one thing kind of helping the Jets is they blitz a lot. They blitz from every level of their defense, every gap. They're blitzing all the time. The Browns, Titans, and Indy have had success blitzing Houston. Uh, do you think it's going to give the Texans any trouble in this one? I think any, any team that's going to blitz us, that's going to disguise and blitz, just because, once again, it's such a young offensive line that hasn't played a lot of snaps together, and, the, and then Kendall Lamb still exists. I still we're just we're gonna have struggle anytime we well play offense. Mm-hmm. And the the one I guess good thing for Watson is even going back and watching Allen last week. Whenever they do pick up the blitz, there's a lot of space for him to run. Whenever they pick up the blitz, there's a lot of open guys downfield. And so if Houston's actually able to, I think that's kind of the key is to just keep you know seven guys in max protect against the blitz. If they pick it up, uh, Watson can kind of take off and and be a monster from there. So I do think even even the blitz against the Jets probably won't matter as much as it did compared to like how the Colts employed it uh, because there's a lot of openings if you're able to pick up that first wave. Yeah, I think you said it great. Yeah, it's – this game on Saturday is going to be <laughs> so ugly. And the reason I'm saying 45-6, to six, I think it's like almost just like pure projection because I want this to be exciting. If this is another Bill O'Brien's going to run Alfred Blue 20 times in the game, I'm probably just going to – I don't. I might turn it off. I mean, because it's going to be so boring. Yeah, so I yeah. Want the Texans to blow it out just so I don't have to watch Alfred Blue play football. And yeah. What anybody says? No, I'm not going to give any credibility to Alfred Blue. He's a terrible running back by any metric on the Football Outsider site. He's a terrible running back. He's a terrible running back. The only he does well is keep his legs moving. And, like, I understand they have, Houston doesn't have any other options, so they have to play him a little bit. But it does make him a good backup running back. And, like, you wa- like watch the Chiefs and, like, oh, there's Damian Williams, and he's been their fourth running back all year. Oh, there's Justin Jackson. He's been their third running back all year. But there's a lot better options available, uh, you know, everywhere else. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this game's going to be bad, too. I'm glad I'll be out in the desert reading and walking around. And then I'll come back home Sunday night, you know, with my, my heart full, and then I'll waste it all. Uh, waste all that blood watching this game to kind of catch back <laughs> up on everything. So I'm not excited for Sunday night, but I'm excited for Saturday to be out there. And, uh, you know, regardless, at least we're getting closer to the end and we're getting closer to, you know, playoff time. And at least the rest of the league is super fun right now because I don't think Houston's regular season's going to be all that great. Playing New York and then playing the Eagles, like the Eagles aren't even fun to watch all anymore. And then, you know, Jackson Week 17 is about to completely blow up the entire ship. So. Uh, there's only three more of these games left, and then we'll have a, a game that finally really matters here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, the Jacksonville game is going to be ugly too. That team, man. Yeah, and what happened in the Eagles? Man, the Eagles, I was really looking forward to this game, man. We're going to see a team that does a lot of things really well. Mm-hmm. We're areas that we struggle on. How are we going to overcome? How are we going to overcome Fletcher Cox and Chris Long and, and that sort of thing? And, but how are we going to stop Carson Wentz? And then you all look at the team, and they're like, man. They're terrible all of a sudden. Yeah, then they're super hungover. Must be. Yeah. Worst hungover ever. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to do what they did once, slow and twice. Um, so, anyways, that's all we have for tonight's show. 
if you're listening to the show right now, subscribe to the show, listen to the show all the time, tell everybody else about it. Even when you're not listening to the show, you should be thinking about the show. The show should consume your entire life. Every cell of your body should be playing the show and subscribe to the show. So uh, anyways, we'll be back on. We'll, we'll have a podcast for Thursday morning for a week 15 NFL preview. And then we'll be back next Tuesday with a UNI BFD where we'll somehow review <laughs> this Texans-Jets game. This preview was, uh, was hard enough to complete to get through. Reviewing the game for 45 minutes next Tuesday is going to be a Herculean task. And uh, I'll, make sure, I'll make sure I'll do like some power cleans or something to get ready for it. So anyway, thank you for listening to the show, everybody. Thank you for the questions. My name is Matt West, and thank you for Small Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Thank you. Woo! Yeah. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.